guide our thoughts. Lord God, this is your word, and uh, Lord, as we go through it, this chapter that was just read, help us to help us just to see the truth. And, and uh, Lord, as I speak it, I pray you give me the words to speak, so it would be you speaking, and it wouldn't be my thoughts, but he, but it would be what you want spoken. And uh, Lord, as we listen to it, I pray that you'd help us to hear what it is that you are saying to us, each of us personally, in our individual lives. So please take control and tell us what we need to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. I, I gave this sermon the title, A Family Legacy. When you think of a legacy, you often think of someone who leaves, or someone, what someone leaves his or her family when they, when they pass on. The story is told of a man who once asked the grandfather how he lived to be so old, how he lived so long. And the grandfather smiled and said, well, I sprinkle a little gunpowder on my cereal every morning. <laughs> and the guy always thought that was a little weird. But <laughs> but his grandfather did live a long life, and he left a, a good legacy, a thriving career, a loving wife, seven children, 16 grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, and a massive hole in the crematorium wall. <laughs> Thinking about a family legacy also at times causes your thoughts to go back in time to family roots. And you wonder about the legacy or how the legacy or course of the family started in the first place. A girl asked her mom, where do humans come from? And her mom answered, well, God made Adam and Eve. And they had children, and that's who we are all descended from. A few days later, the girl asked her dad the same question. Where do humans come from? And her dad said, well, many years ago, there were monkeys from which people evolved. And the confused girl returned to her mother and said, Mom, how is it possible that you told me that people were created by God, and Dad told me people evolved from monkeys? And her mom said, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and he told you about <laughs> But his side of the family. <laughs> family legacy. <laughs> Today we're going to focus on what we leave to those who come after us. And not really material things, but more important things like character qualities and spiritual qualities. And how God's grace comes into play in it all. And this sermon is really a continuation of last week's sermon. Uh, in some ways an overlap, some way it's the same truths that come out, but it's a continuation. Last week we looked at chapter 48 in Genesis, and we saw Jacob giving a blessing to his son Joseph, and Joseph's sons Manasseh and Ephraim. In that blessing was included a reminder from Jacob to his son and his grandsons of who they were as a family, of God's covenant with them, of the promise of Canaan being their homeland, and the promise of God's blessing all the nations of the world through them. And that reminder carried with it the implication that they needed to go forward living consistent with God's covenant to them as a family. And we saw how that applies to us as Christians. How we've been adopted into the family of God and all the blessings we have been given as children of God. And the implication is that as we as Christians go forward, we need to live consistently with what our Father God Almighty stands for. This week, as we continue on to Genesis 49, 
We are continuing in this thought of a family line and a family legacy. This chapter records Jacob's last words to his assembled family. All of his 12 sons. It's a father's blessing to each of his sons. But as we will see, it's, it's more than just a God bless you son kind of thing. It's much more profound what Jacob says here to his kids. So let's first go through the text and gain an understanding of what it is saying, and then we'll draw the, the, the application for us today. Verse 1 tells us that Jacob summoned his sons. He had 12 sons, you remember? Uh, he summoned them all, as he didn't have long to live, gathered them all around him. He wanted to tell them. And it's interesting. Verse 1, he wanted to tell them what will come in the days ahead. So we see right there in verse 1 that this was more than just a God bless you, son, stay true to the family, kind of final words. Uh, these words of Jacob to his sons were prophetic. God had revealed to Jacob something of what the future held for each of his son's family lines. And he was going to fill them in on it. And for some of the sons, there is reason for things going the way they will go, the way they will unfold. And with only a couple of exceptions, these prophecies are fulfilled hundreds of years later as the nation Israel takes Canaan as their homeland and the land is divided up among the 12 tribes, the lines of each of these 12 sons, and as they live out their story then in the promised land. That's recorded for us in the rest of the Old Testament. And Jacob addresses each of his sons individually from oldest to youngest. So first there's Reuben, verse 3 and 4. Reuben was his firstborn, and as such preeminent in dignity and in power, the first sign of Jacob's strength, he said, but Reuben was uncontrolled. Uncontrolled as water, literally the picture is, or the literal translation would be a boiling water pot, boiling over. That was Reuben. Uncontrolled as boiling water. And that was evident when he slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. That was recorded back in chapter 35 or 22. You remember a few months back when we went through that. Um, and that's what Jacob is referring to. So he lost his place of preeminence. He started well, but he very quickly fell. And he and his family line would not have any place of preeminence. And history has shown that no prophet or judge or hero ever came from the tribe of Reuben. Next, Jacob talks to his Next two sons, Simeon and Levi. He kind of lumps Simeon and Levi together. They're kind of like two peas in a pod. Verses 5 through 7. They were both given over to anger and violence. And that was shown to us when they massacred the whole town of Shechem. And we looked at that story back in chapter 34, if you remember. Uh, in revenge for one of the men of Shechem defiling their sister Dinah, uh, the revenge that Simeon and Levi took, they massacred the whole town. And not only slain all the men of the town, but they hamstrung all the oxen as well. So their uncontrolled anger and their thirst for revenge really drove them to ridiculously over-the-top actions of violence. And as you read these verses, you see Jacob really distancing himself from the actions of those two sons. And actually curses their anger. And foretells that they would be dispersed and scattered in and among the rest of the family. And again, history shows that this is what really happened. The tribe of Simeon, when they 
took possession of the promised land, Simeon was given, the tribe of Simeon was given an inheritance that was actually within the territory of Judah, and eventually the tribe was amalgamated into the tribe of Judah and kind of almost ceased to exist. Excuse me, the tribe of Levi did redeem themselves hundreds of years after this event, uh, in the days of Moses, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the law of God, and the people down below got tired of waiting, they made this golden calf, um, and they brought the people to, to worship this idol. The tribe of Levi opposed that. Uh, they opposed uh, worship of that golden calf, and so uh, it was after that that they then became the priestly tribe. All the all the, the Levites were the priests for the rest of the nation, but their inheritance in Canaan was just only a few cities scattered throughout the land. The next oldest was Judah, and there's much said about him. Verses eight to twelve, Judah, and all of it is positive. His brothers would praise him. He would be triumphant over his enemies. He would rise to preeminence over his brothers. Verse 10 talks about the scepter shall not depart. And my translation says until Shiloh comes. Some of your translations has a more literal translation of the Hebrew there. Until the one who brings peace comes. Uh, and all people would be in obedience to him. Verses 11 and 12 talk about the extreme prosperity that would come to Judah's line. Grapevines, choices vines, they're being used as hitching posts because there's so many of them. Uh, wine, grape juice, so plentiful that you wash your laundry in it. Abundance of milk. So let's talk about the extreme great prosperity that would come to Judah's line. So looking at how this prophecy played out, we do know that the tribe of Judah did rise to prominence in Israel. Uh, verse 10 foretells the the kingly dynasty would come from this line, from Judah's line. Uh, and it did. It started with David. When David was crowned king over Israel, David was from the tribe of Judah. And the prophecies, prophecies always indicate that this line, this line would continue, this kingly line would continue until it reaches ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah. Messiah, throughout prophecy, is revealed as reigning on the throne of David forever and ever for all eternity. So that was fulfilled, of course, by Jesus Christ. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. So you see that fulfilled. Verse 11 and 12 are, are of course, poetic language, talking about the prosperity. And here it goes kind of beyond what we've already seen. It's, it, it goes into the prosperity of the millennial kingdom that is yet to come. Uh, when you look in Isaiah's prophecy of the millennial kingdom, and it talks about how the, the, the prosperity and the abundance of good things that are there in the millennial kingdom. This uh, verse uh, 11 and 12 sounds very similar to what Isaiah says about the, about the millennial kingdom. So this prophecy concerning Judah has more far-reaching fulfillment than the other sons. Next is Zebulun, verse 13. Not much is said there about Zebulun. Just an indication as to where their property will be in the promised land. It's close to the seashore. They'll be enriched by the shipping industry. Uh, Issachar, verse 14, uh, talks about raw-boned or donkeys and uh, 14 and 15, whatever we do. Yeah, lying between sheep poles. And, uh, what, it, what it's saying is that apparently Issachar would be very strong, but they'd be docile or kind of lazy. And they'd be very strong, but what they would end up happening is they'd end up working for others. 
Dan, the next, is talked about in verse 16 and 17. It says his, peop, his, or his call was to be a judge for his people. And indeed, Samson, who judged Israel for 20 years, read about that story in the book of Judges, that's hundreds of years after this. Uh, Samson was from the tribe of Dan. But Dan would fall from his calling, it says. Uh, and this tribe, uh, in Jud Judges 18, this tribe would introduce idolatry, the worship of idols, into Israel on an official basis. And so, interesting note, when you look at into the future, in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 4 through 8, and it talks there, in the, and that's, that's still future events, but there, when it talks about the 12 tribes of Israel, Dan is omitted from the tribes of Israel there in Revelation chapter 7. So that's an interesting side note. Verse 18 is kind of an aside. It's a prayer of Jacob's longing for God's salvation. So perhaps Jacob, in, in foreseeing his family's future, uh, much of it was not positive. Uh, he's longing for God to bring his salvation. But then Jacob goes on, verse 19, Gad, next son. Gad, his tribe would experience trouble at the hand of raiders, uh, so they would need to be strong to resist, and they would raid back. Asher, verse 20, would enjoy rich food and supply fancy rich dainties for the royalty, it sounds like, from the way it reads there. Uh, so uh, their inheritance also was along the shore of the Mediterranean. It was a rich area. Uh, they had... Also, because they were on the shore of the Mediterranean, had the benefit of the shipping trade. And uh, so they were would be quite wealthy and would supply all kinds of fancy delicacies for, for the royalty, for the palace, for the king, the queen. Verse 21, Naphtali and his descendants are likened to a doe at the loose, a mountain doe, and having eloquent. That's some translations there, verse uh, 21, says, uh, a doe with beautiful fawns, and some say uh, a doe let loose gives beautiful words. I'm not sure why the translation there, perhaps the Hebrew is a bit unclear, the words maybe for words and, and fawns being similar in Hebrew. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, their inheritance would be in the highlands, and they would be a kind of a free mountain people, one that I'd probably identify with. <laughs> We like our freedom. We like out in the mountains where we can be free to do what we want and <laughs> go where we want. Uh, Barak is from the tribe of Naphtali. And a song of, De of Barak's, uh, along with Deborah, is recorded for us in Judges chapter 5. So that's kind of interesting. Next is Joseph. And for him, like Judah, a lot more is said. There's a lot said here about Joseph. Verses 20 through to 22 to 26. He's described as a fruitful bough or branch by a spring, which is branches overflowing a wall or overgrowing a wall. Uh, he had his adversity. Archer shot at him, whatever. Jacob is describing his early life when he was so hated by his brothers. Uh, but he was strong, and he came through with the help of God. And God would continue to bless Joseph and his descendants in every way, verse 25 says. In fact, his blessings would be more than all his ancestors, and he would be the distinguished one among his brothers. Now, we already saw last week in chapter 48 that Joseph got the birthright and the double blessing. His first two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, were adopted by Jacob. So the end result is that two tribes came from Joseph. 
the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. And only one for each of the other sons. And so here, that blessing is reiterated. He is more blessed than his brothers. So it was Joseph who got the birthright and the double blessing. Of the judges and heroes that came to renown later on, Joshua, Deborah, Samuel, they were all from the tribe of Ephraim. And Gideon and Jephthah were from the tribe of Manasseh. And then lastly, the youngest son, Benjamin, verse 27. He's described as a ravenous wolf. Uh, his tribe would prove to be successful in war, but they would also prove to be very cruel. So that's Dan. So these are the words that Jacob had for his sons. A blessing, if you will, but in the form of a God-inspired prediction of what lay ahead for the descendants of each of his sons. A prophetic statement of what each of the family legacies would be. Then, going on, verse 28 to 33, this was not read because I just asked Signe, who asked Mark, just to read up to verse 27, because it was a pretty long chapter. But anyway, verse 28 to 33, Jacob concludes his speech with the request that uh, his sons bury him back in Canaan, uh, in the same cave that Abraham bought from the Hittites so many years ago to bury his wife Sarah in. That same cave. Subsequently, after that, Abraham was buried there. Isaac and Rebekah were both buried there. And also, Jacob's wife, Leah, was buried there. That's, that's the first we hear of the end of Jacob's wife, Leah. That she died before moving to Egypt and was buried in this same cave. And that's the cave where Jacob wants to be buried in as well. So he makes a request of his sons when he dies that take him back and bury him in that cave back in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. And verse 33 closes by telling us that Jacob, when he finished this last talk with his boys, he crawled back into bed and he died. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the chapter. As I said, the application for us from this is in the area of family legacy. And our spiritual family legacy. The spiritual blessings and treasures, if you will, that we leave to those coming after us. We need to realize family legacy dynamics, especially as Christians, we need to realize that. And we can better understand or better realize this by looking at the facts of family legacy dynamics as come out here in chapter 49 of Genesis. Just two that I want to bring out this morning, two facts I want to look at. Fact number one, character traits and consequences can carry on for generations. Character traits and consequences can carry on for generations. This truth is illustrated by a few of Jacob's sons and their resulting family line. We see it first in Reuben, the oldest. He's the firstborn. He had so much going for him. But he had that bad character trait of being uncontrolled. Of acting totally on the impulse of the moment. And not being able to control his impulses or his passions. And this came back to haunt him. He lost the birthright and the double blessing that normally went to the oldest. Joseph got it instead. And it affected Reuben's family line for generations to come. His family line, the tribe of Reuben, never produced anyone that rose to any significance in the nation Israel. 
We also see this in Simeon and Levi, those two brothers that are kind of lumped together. Both were given to extreme anger and violence. And we looked at how the consequences of those character traits carried on and affected both the family lines generations down the road. They would be scattered in Israel, and that proved to be true. So we've seen from this an interesting and yet very sad fact of family legacy dynamics. And that is that character traits and consequences of those character traits can carry on for generations. And hundreds of years later, the descendants we see as we read, keep on reading in the Bible, they're still living out the consequences of those character traits. And I think modern research has shown this to be very true. As you look at the family background, say, of an abusive person or of a homeless addict, for example, chances are very high, research has shown, that you'll see those same issues in the parent and in the grandparent and in the great-grandparent and so on. Those character traits, those characteristics and the consequences of them just keep carrying on from one generation to the next. Obviously, this is all a result of the entrance of sin into the world. And the sin nature we're all born with, that's, that's where this all comes from. And it comes out in each of us with these negative characteristics. And if we let those negative characteristics have control, the consequences of them will not only hurt us, but they will be carried by our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. My daughter Melissa isn't here this morning, <laughs> so I can say this. <laughs> Melissa is a daughter that I've loved very dearly, like all of them. She's the one I probably clash with the most. And uh, I don't know, just, just the way she, she reacts to me and the way she comes back at me and, and I find so, so disrespectful at times. And so, and so I was trying to explain this to her, like how she comes across and the way she says I was trying to explain this to her. And she told me, she came back to me and she said, Dad, that's exactly the same way you talk to me. It's exactly the same way you talk to your dad. And I stopped. And it took a few days to think about that. Yeah, she's right. Those character traits carry on from one generation to the next. And this should be a sobering truth for each one of us. Sobering thought for each one of us. Our personality flaws and the way they dictate how we act and how we react and how we treat the people around us and how we treat our kids, the consequences of that have far-reaching effects, reaching forward in time for generations. Generations to come, causing our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren all the way down the line to keep on picking up the tab for our sins. This is a fact of family legacy dynamics. Those character traits and the consequences of them carry on for generations. 
And that's a sobering fact. Let's move on. Secondly, by God's grace, a person can change the course for God for generations to come. By God's grace, a person can change the course for God for generations to come. The story of Judah here in this chapter is a great illustration of this fact, this truth. We saw it as we went through. Verses 8 to 12 talk about Judah and how blessed he was and how blessed his descendants would be. But let's stop here and look back. We know Judah. Remember the story of Judah? We looked through it as we went through the book of Genesis. He was no angel by any means. The sinful things he did, in my opinion, rank right up there with Reuben and Simeon and Levi. Just a reminder. After the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, Judah had been part of that. After that, if you look at chapter 38 of Genesis, Judah left the family for a time. He went and joined up with a guy from the town of Adullam. It sounds like they went into business together. Went with the Canaanites. Married a Canaanite woman. Raised a family with her. Three sons. The first two sons were evil men. Uh, what followed was just, it was just bad all around. The firstborn married a girl named Tamar. But because he was so wicked, God took his life. And so then the second son married Tamar, according to the custom of the time and the culture of... If, if a man dies before he has any children, the man's brother is supposed to marry the widow to have children for him. And that way, um, so second son then married Tamar, according to that custom. But he didn't like the idea of having kids for his brother. He wanted his own kids, so he acted evil in God's sight. He died, leaving Tamar a widow for the second time. Judah then, the rascal that he is, he He's scared to give her to his third son, fearing he might die too. So in desperation, Tamar then posed as a temple prostitute. Judah saw her, didn't recognize her, paid for her services, ended up with Tamar getting pregnant with twins by her father-in-law. And the fact that Judah was using the services of a temple prostitute shows that he had not only left his family, but also the God who made the covenant with his family. He had left that. What a horrible thing to do. Many horrible, sinful things done by Judah in those years. And now, back here now in 49, why is Judah getting all the blessings? He's just as bad as Reuben and Simeon and Levi. Well, something happened. It's not really recorded, but we can tell it happened by how the story carries out. Obviously, at some point, Judah went back to his family, to his father and his brothers, and was welcomed back into this covenant family. Judah is with his brothers when they go down to Egypt to buy food in that famine and had to deal with Joseph, whom they didn't know. He's with his brothers when that happens. And then on the second visit, Joseph, who he's still unknown to his brothers, demands that Benjamin, the youngest, stay as his slave because he stole Joseph's cup, his silver cup. The rest could go home, home with food for their families, but Benjamin had to stay, be his slave. At that point, it was Judah who stood up and offered to stay as Joseph's slave instead. 
if only Benjamin could go back home to his father. And when Judah stood up and offered that, it just tore Joseph to pieces. We looked at that a few chapters back. As he saw the true repentance and the change in Judah. And then when the family moved to Egypt, Judah's with them. Judah moved to Egypt with the family. And we saw there, when it talks about a couple chapters back, when it talks about all the people, all of Jacob's descendants who moved down to Egypt, not only did Judah move with them, but it says their tamer and her twin boys moved with the family as well down to Egypt. So putting it all together, it seems obvious to me that Judah, after his time of leaving his family and leaving his God and living in sin, that he repented of that, came back home, and joined back with his family and his God, and came back under God's covenant with his family, and he did right by Tamer and the twin boys. And now when Jacob is blessing his sons, Judah gets the major blessing. Nothing but good for him and his family line in the future is mentioned here in this blessing of verses 8 through 12. And that's a great illustration of a great truth, a great fact in family legacy dynamics. By God's grace, any person can change the course of a family line and change it for God and the things of God for generations to come. Judah, the way he was going at first, was setting a course for his family line that wouldn't have been a lot different than Reuben's or Simeon's or Levi's. But he repented, and he started living in accordance with the covenant God made with his family, and he changed the course of his family line. Friends, just because your family ancestry isn't great, and your predecessors set the family on a course that is not good, that doesn't mean you are bound by that. You can change the course for your family. You can repent of the sinful path you are on and place your faith in Jesus and his death that paid for your sin and invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And that gets you adopted into the family of God and under the covenant Jesus makes with you to cleanse you and to give you eternal life and then start living differently. And so now, by the grace of God, you can overcome those negative character traits and start living differently, and you can set a different course for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren like Judah did. You see, salvation, too, has far-reaching effects. Jesus' death and resurrection brings redemption from sin and from the effects of sin. You can be victorious, and by that victory, change the course of your family after you. God's love and grace also extends into the future for generations to come. So therefore we see from this chapter some facts about family legacy dynamics that we need to understand. They are, number one, character traits and consequences can carry on for generations. But, number two, by God's grace, a person can change the course for God for generations. As you think about this, 
Are there any negative character traits that have been in your family for generations that perhaps you are suffering from and you still see coming out in yourself? It'll keep going unless someone stops it and changes the course. And the good news is, by God's grace, you can do that. If that's the case, you can stop it and change the course with repentance for that sinful character trait and a commitment to live under the power of God which he has covenanted to give you. You can gain victory over that and you can change the course for your family after you. Let's take the time of silence that we always take and just, in your own heart, just listen. What is God saying to you personally from this? This next song is one, um, we didn't have time to practice it together. A special request from Pastor Glenn because he felt it goes really well with his sermon. Bye. 
gears back to where you get to sing with us. This next song um, is called These Things Are True of You and it talks um, actually a lot for those teenagers that were here listening to Chris on Friday night about the theology of who God is as well and um, making those things true of ourselves.
Thank you for your singing. Thank you, Monty, for that special number. I requested Monty sing that song. Tremendous truth that I kept thinking about that song as we're preparing the sermon. May all who have come behind us find us faithful. Praise and prayer time. Anybody have anything that you would like to publicly praise God for? Maybe something you'd like to request prayer for. Lord, we thank you that as a church body we can uh, come together not only to worship and to, and to hear your word, but also to unite our hearts in prayer together as a body of believers. And there's strength in that. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to do that. Lord, these things that are mentioned here, we, we just lift them up to you. We pray for Nicole, Sig's friend, and her little girl, Layla. She's been undergoing so many treatments for cancer in her young little life brain tumor, and it was removed, but now the radiation that is necessary, and there's so much possibility of negative side effects from that radiation, and it causes a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, especially on Nicole's part. Lord, I would pray that you would just undertake there. Pray, Lord, first of all, you bring healing to Layla, uh, that the cancer would be eradicated once for all, and I pray the radiation would be effective. Uh, more than that, I pray that the side effects would be minimized and not taken away altogether. That, Lord, it would not have any effect on Layla's personality down the road, and uh, that her skull would just continue to form normally as it should. Just pray, Lord, you do that work. Just touch her with your healing. Just do that work. And for Nicole, Lord, you know where she's at. I'm not exactly sure where she's at as far as her own personal life is concerned, but uh, Lord, that she would learn to just lay her worries at your feet and uh, her anxieties. Lord, give her your strength and give her your peace, the peace that passes all understanding. I pray that we just wash over her and, uh, and comfort her at this time. Lord, with Joyce, I want to praise you for answered prayer. Uh, Lord, it seems like when everything is shut down that uh, some of that might be stymied. But Lord, it's not. You are a great God and you're above that. And thank you, Lord, for the way you are continuing to work, the way you're continuing to, to have your hand on people and on situations. Lord, thank you for answered prayer whatever those prayers were that Joyce referred to, I just thank you for that. And praise your name, bless you, and worship you because of that. Thank you, Lord, for nature, as June mentioned. The sunsets, the sunrises, uh, just the beauty around us, the hoarfrost. All these things are, are just blessings of yours that you give through nature that encourage us and that lift our hearts and brighten our days. And we thank you for each one of us. Lord, I want to pray for Rocky and Lynn Underhill. Lord, you know the, the treatments that Rocky is undergoing and, and how difficult it is on his body. Lord, how I pray that you would be close to him and give his body strength for the treatments. That the treatments, Lord, we ask would be effective in, in healing him from the cancer in his liver that he is experiencing. And, and Lord, most of all through this, that you would just help them all to see you be open to you. Turn their lives to you. Let's sometimes it takes adversity to make us think, to make us look up. And Lord, I pray that would happen. I want to 
pray for our political leaders, as Natasha has mentioned. Lord, our own leaders, our provincial leaders, our federal leaders, Prime Minister, our Premier, and uh, Lord, many decisions as they are trying to lead us through a time that is unprecedented in our in our lifetime. And give them wisdom as they do that. And Lord, we, we have concerns, and we all have concerns as we look at our political leaders. Lord, give them your strength. May they be open to your wisdom. May you give them good advisors. We know there are many Christians who are in government, and I pray that they would stand up, their light would shine forth, and that would be open to the advice and the direction that they give. I think especially of our neighbors to the south, Lord, and the unrest that is happening there. And, uh, uh, Lord, as I swear in a new president here in a few days, I just really pray, Lord, you give that nation peace and calm. And uh, help those who are seeking to make trouble, Lord, just to realize the futility of that is not, is not right. on her continued pregnancy. Lord, thank you the baby's strong. Pray for that, Lord. You know, some of the health issues he's facing, pray that you would resolve those. Give the doctor's wisdom. Give uh, Shauna wisdom as she uh, looks at a diet and for her gallbladder bladder issues. Lord, I pray that you would just undertake for this. Lord, you want to pray for Tristan. Lord, you, you know the struggle that girl is facing. <clears throat> and you know the way people are acting, Lord, and kids can be pretty cruel at times. And uh, it's hard as a parent to now I pray that you be close to her and help her, Lord, to rise up above this. Just be close to her in her own heart to know that she is loved by you. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the people in her life would be sympathetic and would be understanding and uh, would treat her well. And, Lord, I want to just thank you for Kira and her uh, his burden to hand out these pamphlets to suicide, suicidal people. To hear those, Lord, one of those side effects of, of the COVID guidelines is a big rise in suicide. And, uh, Lord, how I pray that uh, these pamphlets that were given out would, would be effective in stopping people from that, of course. And Lord, as they read the gospel that is in those pamphlets, that they would turn their hearts and lives to you. And pray that would be a result. Help Kira, Lord, in this ministry. Just give her strength to, to carry on whatever the next phase would, might be or whatever comes out, out of this. I just pray you give her the strength for that. Lord, I want to pray for those of our church family who are not able to be with us this morning. And the Lord, it's hard, it hurts to not be all together as a church family. Uh, only half of us being able to be here. And, uh, Lord, I, I really pray you with each one who's not here this morning. Please continue to work in their hearts and lives. Keep them close to you, we pray. Keep them strong in their walk with you. And keep them strong in their family life.
I'll just ask you to bow your heads once again, and we'll uh, we'll give thanks for uh, for the blessings we've had and for the offertory. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, for the provisions you've given us and and for the many blessings you've given us, especially especially for us here in Lashburn and in and uh, in this province, in this country, Lord. We are we are a truly blessed nation, and so we just uh, thank you for that and praise you for that, and just pray that you will. Uh, you will bless these offerings as uh, as we give uh, a portion back to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Announcements. This week coming up, Tuesday, ladies' Bible study here at the church. All ladies are, as usual, welcome. Uh, 7 o'clock. And also this Wednesday is the monthly prayer meeting at the church at 7.30. I would certainly encourage... Uh, all of you to come to that, or as many of you as, as you can. Uh, I know it's a it's a it's a great experience to participate in, and uh, and something that uh, that is encouraged and uh, and asked of us by by God. So I would encourage us uh, many many to come on on Wednesday evening if you can. Seven thirty here. Uh, once again, Friday evening at seven thirty will be uh, youth at the church here as well. Uh, so we're grateful that that is able to uh, to carry on, and then of course next Sunday the typical things. Uh, I just want to remind you guys to uh, to keep letting Pastor Glenn know when, uh, if and when you're able to come each Sunday, so he can uh, you know plan accordingly for that. Uh, coming up down the road, annual re uh, annual general meeting is still set for the 28th of February. Nobody's complained yet, so we're going to stick with that until we hear otherwise. Uh, so therefore, on the 14th of February, the, uh, the reports for the annual meeting will be due. So uh, on Valentine's Day, those are due. <laughs> uh, janitor sign-up is still at the back. I think there's probably still some empty months, so feel free to fill in one that works for you. And is there anything else? No. Okay. I guess we hand it over to the to the trivia master. I assume. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, kids, here are the answers to the trivia questions. Number one, the answer is twelve. Number two. The answer is Reuben. Number three, the answer is Joseph. Number four, Simeon and Levi. <laughs> Number five is Judah. Number six, Asher. Number seven, the answer is yes. <laughs> and number eight, that could be a little longer, but uh, if you had the word repent in your answer, I'll give it to you. <laughs> so, repent. If you have that word somewhere in your answer of number, number eight, I'll give it to you. Okay, so, first of all, kids 10 and under. How many got at least four right? You guys are all, Brooke, you're under 10? You look so much older, Brooke. <laughs> Okay, so three of you, you three can come and uh, see me afterward. Who else? Tristan? 
Yeah, under 10. Yes? Uh, well, that's involved, but I, I, I was really keen on that word repent. <laughs> repent of the way things have been going and change course to go over things. So, yeah, you need the word repent in there someplace. Okay. So, uh, so those three, who else? Keaton? Keaton or Kristen? Both of them. Under 10, yes. Keaton. So, under 10, if you got four right, I'm giving you a prize. Okay. 16 and under. So, those 16 and under, how many of you got all eight right? Andrew? Andrew, you got all eight right? Right on. Anybody else? Okay. So, you five people after the church, come see me and I'll give you a prize. How many of you adults got them already? <laughs> Joyce did. <laughs> okay, let's just close our service in prayer, please. Our God, we just want to thank you for the time we had to be here this morning, and the time of fellowship, and time of enjoying each other, and uh, time of hearing your word and worship. And Lord, uh, as we go from here into what this week holds for us right now, we're not exactly sure, but... Uh, as we go through the events this week, help us, Lord, to, to live our lives this week in light of what you told